Hey, welcome to Conversations with Ben Dixon, where we discuss important topics through a biblical and spiritual lens. Our hope is to encourage and equip you. So thank you for tuning in. Let me go ahead and tell you where you can watch this or you can listen to it. Remember, we're on YouTube. Our YouTube channel is called Ignite Global Ministries, and you could subscribe to that channel. When you do, you'll notice a playlist that says Conversations with Ben Dixon. We're in season three right now. That's what you're watching and listening to. But you can also, if you want to just listen to this, you can go to Apple, iTunes, Spotify, all of that. We're available on all of these platforms. Make sure to subscribe, share this with your friends. If you forgot everything that I just said, that's totally fine. Just go to conversationswithbendixon.com. All the information is there. Once again, thank you for tuning in. And we're going to have a very, very important discussion today. I have a very special guest named Kathy Moore. Kathy is a licensed marriage and family therapist along with her husband, Greg. And in Federal Way, Washington, they lead more counseling services. So excited to have Kathy on today. Kathy, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thank you. It's too late now. You can't back out. Okay. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Well, I want to intro the topic of discussion. And uh, again, I'm so glad that you are tuning in. Uh, we want to talk about what it looks like and why and what it would what we what we will be talking about with our children when it comes to sex and sexuality the fact is that our kids are going to be educated in their sexuality from someone or from somewhere and we believe along with Kathy that that needs to be the parents or their guardians and so in order to do that we think it's important to have a discussion about this so that we can give resources tools and tips and since Kathy is a therapist and she has a passion for this. I wanted to bring her on to this podcast so that we can really equip you. And so I'm, I'm so thankful that you're here to have this discussion. And I have my, my first question for you today, and we just want to kick it off by asking you this. Um, why don't you just go ahead and tell us a little bit about the importance of sex education for children and your passion about this and some of your experience as well? You bet. I was brought up in a Christian family where sex and sexuality were celebrated, mm. that um, we we're created according to God's design and that it's all good, and that sex in marriage, within marriage, is good and a wonderful gift. And so that was the message that I heard. We washed dishes together in the evening, my mom and my brothers and I, and these conversations were just sort of a natural thing. We laughed a lot. And values were always included in the conversations. Um, and I didn't know at the time, this is in the like 60s mm -hmm. in Texas, and I just thought everybody was growing up that way. Mm. And um, I learned once our kids became young adults, and I began hearing stories about their experiences, their friends' experiences. And then... Um, I became a therapist in my 50s, and I did my internship on a Christian college campus. Wow. So I was doing counseling with uh, students ages 18 and up who'd grown up in Christian homes, and I was hearing the um, real wounding and brokenness and trauma that was a result of not being prepared mm -hmm. in this important area, this aspect of who we are. And so I, I remember one young woman telling me she'd been date-raped mm -hmm. when she was 16, and she quit going to youth group. She was ruined. She was dirty. She felt shamed, and I, she didn't feel like she belonged there anymore. Wow. I talked to young women 
uh, I still talk to women who tell me that they thought they had cancer when their period started because nobody had explained to them what was happening Hmm. in their bodies, normal development. Um, I saw or have seen the um, consequences of promiscuity Mm -hmm. that results from a lot of just silence and not being taught values, not being given um, a sexual identity that is created by God. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've talked with women who believed that they needed to marry the first boy that they went too far with. Wow, yeah. Regardless of whether he was going to be a good spouse, but they thought that was what they needed to do in order to obey God. Mm. So lots of damage caused by ignorance. Mm -hmm. And research says that the number one way to set our kids up well in this area is to talk to them frequently. There's no such thing as a big talk. Mm -hmm. It's many talks. And to communicate our values. Kids want to know our values. Mm -hmm. So, And we want to start it when we are the loudest voice in their ears. Right. No, I think that's uh, very powerful. And Obviously, we're living in a very difficult time and a very sexualized time when it comes to uh, media and um, even in the various circles where kids are growing up, whether it's friend groups or um, even in public schools where there is sex education, whether uh, we agree with that or not. But the fact is they're, they're learning from somewhere. And so there are a lot of things that parents, um, I think we assume, parents know to do. And so part of us discussing this is to give some tools. And I thought maybe starting with this question would be really helpful. And I know that you've taught through this, you've had seminars, you, this is something that you have experience with, but there are a lot of myths. There are a lot of things that we believe as parents um, who are raising young people, whether they're children, small children, or even youth and young adults, we believe things that prevent us from having these uh, conversations. And I know you've run into this a whole lot. So I just wanted to ask you, what are some of those things that prevent us from actually doing um, what we should be doing and what we could be doing, right? What are those things that you've come across? I meet lots of parents who want to do it better Mm -hmm. than was done for them, but they don't know how. And so one of the myths is there, people are afraid they're going to tell their child too much too soon. Mm. And actually, um, apparently kids, well, there can be too much too soon, but, but um, there's more risk from too little and too late than from too much too soon. Mm-hmm. If we give our kids more facts than they need, um, a lot of times that just goes over their heads. They don't have a hook for it. It doesn't absorb and so, um, you know, you, you do want to be age appropriate, and I have some things to say about that. But too little too late is way more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, another myth is that it is too late. My kids are 13 or 15 or, you know, it's too late. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's never too late. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you feel like you've handled it poorly, you can actually admit that. You can say, you know, I've been uncomfortable with this subject. I haven't handled it like I wish I had. Um, 
here's a do-over, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we always get a do-over as parents. <laughs> mm-hmm. These things just keep coming up. Um, another myth is that, um, or, yeah, thing that can stop parents from talking with their kids is a fear that they'll say the wrong thing or that they don't know enough. Mm-hmm. The nice thing is there are many resources available, and... Um, I, I point towards those all the time. That's very important. We don't have to know everything. Mm-hmm. Your kids want to hear it from you, though. Mm-hmm. They really they want to know information from you. They want to know that this is a safe topic, that you won't freak out if they ask a question. Mm-hmm. And um, they want to know values, and it's just critical. Um, another thing that parents worry about is... Um, that their own mistakes disqualify them. Mm. I didn't do this well. Mm-hmm. I have messed up big time. And so they feel um, inadequate, mm-hmm. disqualified, and and that isn't true. Kids, again, still really need to hear from their parents. And I, I encourage parents, if they're still dealing with some wounding in their own life, gosh, I believe most of us are somehow wounded, broken, mm-hmm. experienced sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. Something like a half of all people have experienced some sort of sexual assault or trauma. And all the rest of us are somewhere on a spectrum of not having done it all right mm-hmm. or still not doing it all right. So that can't be our disqualifier. And if we're really held up by that, um, I think... It's uh, important for parents to seek their own healing, right. seek their own forgiveness, mm-hmm. get informed, get counseling, talk to a pastor, get prayer, mm-hmm. um, bring things to the light so that they can be healed. That's right. One of the things that Brit, my wife and I, we did, um, both her and I grew up, we've had all kinds of backgrounds, which... Mm-hmm. Led me to be a pastor, anyways. <laughs> so it's my background that uniquely qualified me to receive the grace of God in yes. a greater measure, in order to want to give that away to more people, or at least to be uh, uh, somebody that would be a messenger of the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And so, as Bridget and I were raising kids, I can remember that we had like a word of wisdom, is the way that we would say this, and that was we felt like the Lord really wanted us to share our testimonies with our kids. And it's sometimes that thing like, how far do you go? How much do you say? And like what you had just talked about. But my wife specifically, because she was a single teenage mom and she had, by the time she was 18, she had two kids with two different dads. And so she just carried this shame and all all these things. And so fast forward, you know, we're way down the road and we have two biological kids two biological kids. We have two other older boys. And we really felt like we need to really share our testimony with our kids in pieces, age appropriate. And one of the most powerful things, which you, sometimes the myth is you think it's going to backfire. Like if I share my testimony, it will almost make my kids think, well, you turned out good. And so I can go down that road and I'm going to turn out good and whatever. But it did the exact opposite. But I can honestly admit, like there was that feeling from both of us, like if we start to share these pieces of our testimony, that it would make our kids think that they could get away with these sexual desires and still turn out good because they thought we did. But the fact is, it did the opposite. And so I just love what you're saying, because 
our kids want to know. They, I, I was actually surprised over the years by how much my kids wanted to hear my testimony and really just see the grace of God. And we were informative. We, we told them the mistakes that we made. And we kind of use that as a backdrop for saying, you know, and we want so much more for you. Not to say that they can't, won't make mistakes or anything like that, but it was just to say, kind of like be vulnerable with our kids. And so there are, there. I just want to admit uh, those myths are real. Mm-hmm. There are these things that prevent us uh-huh. from talking to our kids. Um, and we do have to educate ourselves more and more. And, and the fact that our, we're parents uniquely qualifies us for these little humans that God has given us as a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I so much appreciate that. Here's another question that I think kind of just really piggybacks what we're talking about is what are some truths that we should believe that help us talk to our kids about sex and their sexuality? Right. Um, it's um, important for um, us to be talking about sex with our kids and sexuality because our silence communicates loudly. Mm. So if we are silent on this topic, kids can begin to believe that it's too scary, Mm -hmm. it's too bad, it's too naughty, it's too dangerous, it's or it's too wonderful Mm -hmm. for them to hear about. And so our silence communicates, or or it could communicate that they're on their own Mm -hmm. or that it doesn't matter. Um, so there's nothing good. Mm-hmm. It, it communicates things, but they're not good. Um, another thing that's important is for the couple, the parents, if, if they're co-parenting, married or not, um, to talk together about how they're going to communicate with their children, mm-hmm. what's, what their values are, what their goals are for their kids. Um, so to be a team as much as possible. I have also been surprised how many married couples who have four children don't talk comfortably about sex or who've been married for 30 years mm-hmm. and they don't talk comfortably about sex. So, hey, this could even promote a couple talking together mm. in a healthier way, which is really important. Um, bringing the topic to light helps reduce the shame and the mystery that goes around it that God never intended. God's picture for our sexuality is it's a gift. Mm -hmm. He made it. He made it for good reasons. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd like to just take a second and distinguish between sex and sexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, That was sort of a new concept to me a few years back. So, when we talk about sex right here in this moment, I'm thinking of like the act or acts mm-hmm. of sex, sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, sexuality, I think about as a part of our identity, mm-hmm. part of who we are, how God made us. Um, and um, from birth, I believe, mm-hmm. <laughs> he created us male and female. And he rejoices in that. And I think we are too yeah. also to do that. And um, so when I use those two words, I'm doing it on purpose Mm -hmm. because I see them as as different things. Um, We do live in a a sexualized society. Um, You know, throughout history, families with multiple children all shared a room. 
So being exposed to sexuality or sexual behavior is is not new. That's been happening all along. Mm-hmm. Um, or there were the animals on the farm. They were exposed to what's going on there. How do we get a baby calf? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so the facts of life have been in full view, really, maybe more than they are right now. Mm-hmm. But what is sad about right now and dangerous about right now, I think, is the prevalence of unhealthy messages. Mm-hmm. There have always been those two. It, during biblical times, mm-hmm. there were unhealthy sexual practices happening. But they are very much in full view. And now if you have a um, an Apple Watch, mm-hmm. you can you can watch them or learn about them on your watch. You know, mm-hmm. it's just so readily available and so much impacting. It's it's part of the water we're swimming in now. Mm-hmm. And so um talking with our kids is I think more important than ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're kind of framing a lot of this up too, Kathy, and saying that the parents not only should have this primary place of influence, but they really do. And so because of that, you, you can't really avoid it. So mm-hmm. your silence communicates mm-hmm. powerfully because you have been given that unique influence by God as their parents. They don't have other parents. They might have people that father and mother them or, or provide some kind of parental relationship, but you are uniquely their parents. And so in whatever we can offer and do offer to our kids, and as we grow in that, it really does help. And so our conviction that this is something I I, I need to do, however um, eloquent I may or may not do it, or or however growing it is that, that I'm growing in my ability to do so, it, it it has to be kind of a deep conviction, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like mm-hmm. um, outsourcing it to others or assuming that sex education from school is going to suffice or even church. Um, my view would be church is, it helps to enhance what mom and dad are doing, not do it. It's not meal replacement, you know, mm-hmm. it's not a replacement. It's actually to walk alongside in partnership and and so I like what you said. You talked about how we need to have not the big conversation. That to me is, is a huge statement. It's not a big conversation. Like, you know, we need to go on the weekend and have, you know, for the father-son, the man-to-man or the, the daughter and mother, the woman-to-woman. It's actually hundreds of conversations yes. on yes. and on. And so that to me is also a huge conviction. Like we have to have, even if you have 10 minutes or 30 minutes, I, I mean, Contextually, that can vary, right? I mean, how you go about this. and So I want to add there that um, time in the car can be really excellent time mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. for these conversations, especially as your kids get older. You're not looking eyeball to eyeball, so it's a little less threatening, mm-hmm. and you've got them in an enclosed situation. They're trapped. And um, <laughs> actually, I remember one of our daughters asking us finally the very blunt question, you know, okay, so how does this happen? And we'd given her all the leading up parts that were age appropriate. And then finally she said, you know, so exactly what's happening mm-hmm. here. And um, so we were in the car. And um, Craig and I were in the front seat. She was in the back seat. And so we said, well, okay, this is exactly how this happens. And all three of us burst out laughing. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it was just a wonderful moment. I've never <laughs> forgotten because, you know, there is something sort of funny about it. God has to have had a sense of humor. 100%. You know, where did this come from? How do you think this up? And um, so we had this great moment. And so the car can be a, a really good time. Um, we are commanded to teach God's truths to our children. Amen. Mm-hmm. And, and it talks about doing it when we're sitting down and mm-hmm. when we're um, at the table, and when we're walking by the road, and you know, we're told to, it should be an ongoing part of life, and this is one of the best, biggest topics. Um, and another note I've made here that I want to make sure I said is that Christians have the best news about sex That's right. and sexuality. Mm-hmm. We have the good news mm-hmm. what it's supposed to be like, the gift that it is, how it's to be used, um, it, and you know. If you want to know the best recipe, we've got it. Mm-hmm. And actually, research supports that to a, a great extent. And does this? Um, there are a lot of buzzwords I, I could use. I, I don't think spending time on them is is the most helpful thing. But just I know you're aware of all of them. So people talk about purity culture, and they talk about uh, um, <clears throat> some. Sometimes the conversation will come up about what the church did tell me and made me feel bad about sex and that it's something that we don't talk about or we don't mention or just don't do it. Um, That can come from mom, dad too, but it can come from the church as well. And we just can own all of it. But being sex positive is, is part of the conviction, right? And I know that you've mentioned this before on, on even your materials and your seminar is I, I read that and I thought that is just so important that kids feel that sex is part of their identity as created by God. It's not, you know, there's it's fine to blush, yes, but there's but that doesn't have to be shameful. And mm-hmm. and just even maybe for a few minutes or a minute, talk about being sex positive and how that deters kids from possibly even that curiosity going into places where it doesn't have to, or or just help us understand that a little bit more about being sex positive mm-hmm. as parents, with kids. People will define that differently, but I am pretty passionate about it. Um, I first was really exposed to the concept in grad school, which was just 12 years ago for me. Um, and it was a big topic, being sex positive. Unfortunately, it meant all kinds of things there <laughs> that I was not on board with. Right. Um, but there were, and there were lots of messages in our training that the church has not been sex positive. Mm-hmm. And I wrestled with that a lot. And certainly, there is some truth in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, where I land is, but we ought to be the most sex positive people there are. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we can define that different ways. But to me, that includes the idea of it being intended for good, mm-hmm. of it being um, uh, a, a glue for a married couple and fun mm-hmm. for a married couple. Um, the idea that, like I said, that our sexuality is good, to, um, to have a to celebrate. So I didn't ask you if it was okay to say this. So if it's not, you Just can go take for it. it. No, off. Kathy, we're good. <laughs> I trust you explicitly. Okay. Yeah, okay. go for it. So like I said, I grew up in a sex positive home. And um, I didn't use that word, I guess. But 
when I started my period at mm-hmm. age 12, I told my mom, she'd prepared me, you know, this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I told my mom, and she, I saw her whisper to my dad, <sighs> makes me emotional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he came and gave me a special hug. Nothing was said to my little brothers. They had no clue. But my dad hugged me. And I knew that that was a special acknowledgement. And then we had a, a, a special dinner. And again, my little brothers had no clue what was going on. But um, that was a message to me. Mm-hmm. Becoming a woman is a good thing. Wow. And, wow. and good things come from that. And that my dad was a part of that too. That's pretty special. Someone said to me mm-hmm. <laughs> that when her period started, she thought she was dying. Mm-hmm. And that from that moment on, her father never touched her. Wow. And so that would be the opposite wow. of, of my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that um, messages of shame... Mm-hmm. And a fear are not sex positive. And I think that the just don't do it mm-hmm. um, is very lacking. It's it's appropriate statement in a context. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> but um, I have seen the consequences of that being the only message. Right. I have talked to young couples. They've been married six months and they've never been intimate mm-hmm. because of anxiety and guilt and mm-hmm. um, discomfort. So... That's not sex positive. Well, and I, I can just simply affirm you as a counselor, me as a pastor, um, I don't think there's one thing that I meet with people more about than the issue of broken sexuality. Yeah. And underneath a lot of that is a lack of education mm-hmm. and the ability to talk about things positively as a gift that God has given. Um, he's given that to each person and that it's to be stewarded Mm-hmm. It has a context. Mm-hmm. We're to have education, to have understanding. Um, and we should have that in the home and in the church. And so I just simply can say and affirm that while I'm completely sold out to helping people in redemption mm-hmm. and restoration, I do think preemptive approach is something that we have to continue to get to get better at, um, both in the home and in the church. So I just, I'm again, I'm really thankful for this conversation. Um, I I want to say that I think of sex and sexuality as like electricity. Mm-hmm. So it's very powerful. To me, that's one of the reasons we're so vulnerable in that area. Mm-hmm. It's very powerful. So if Satan can get to us there, well, it's sort of like low-hanging fruit, honestly, mm-hmm. because we're just, it's we're very vulnerable there. Um, and like electricity, it can um, produce great harm mm-hmm. and great good. Mm-hmm. And so um, I actually, I talk about that sometimes when I'm teaching on this subject, that um, if, if electricity is used properly, mm-hmm. um, it can be safe. And it can do all these wonderful things in our lives. The same is true with our our sexuality, our sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, great power for good, and great potential. That's a great illustration for harm. We're kind of 
coming up to the place of even just talking about what Scripture teaches. So what does Scripture teach us about sex and sexuality that we want certainly want our kids to know? These are some, maybe it doesn't have to be fully comprehensive, but sure. the things that really come to mind in your experience, what are those things from Scripture? Right. Well, uh, it clearly stated that God created it, mm-hmm. um, and He, well, this is not from Scripture. This is from biology. I believe He created it for pleasure based on our biology. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't know that that gets talked about a lot, but it didn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. You know, it could have been done with a finger touch or a pill or a something, but it, he created it in a way that is pleasurable. Mm-hmm. And so I know that that was on purpose. Um, scripture says that sex outside of marriage is sin and that it has difficult consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible indicates or specifies that um, sex unifies a man and a woman in a one flesh relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's a very powerful statement to unpack. Um, But it is a unique bond. And I love when science backs up Scripture or catches up (laughs) with Scripture. (laughs) So it turns out that when we're sexual with our partner in a safe, loving relationship, um, which I believe is in marriage, we, our brains actually produce um, oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone that mothers produce when they're nursing. Hmm. So it's literally a chemical event in our bodies for bonding. Wow. Isn't that exciting? Wow. Yeah. Um, and the Bible says that we're to be holy even in our thoughts, so sexually pure in our behavior and in our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, sex doesn't just bind us physically, it binds us emotionally and spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also want to finish with that sexual sin can be forgiven. And we have all these examples. I think it's fascinating that we're told about Jesus talk, talking with a woman caught in adultery mm-hmm that one of his disciples, Mary, not one of the 12, but Mary, mm-hmm. um, was a prostitute, mm-hmm. and um, the woman at the well had was currently living with a man she was not married to. Mm-hmm. And he interacted in a grace-filled way mm-hmm. with all three of those women. And so we know that and I think one of the sad things about the way maybe the church historically has dealt with sexual sin is that it's acted as if it's a different category that's somehow unforgivable. Mm-hmm. At least that's a message that I think people have picked up, mm-hmm. and that's very sad. Well, there's probably a lot of fear attached to mm-hmm. ongoing sexual sin, and so wherever there's fear. We we kind of move beyond. Uh, we move outside of the education part, and and maybe it, I could just say it this way, and have you comment: is that having raised two older kids and having to talk them through sexual sin, let's just say, um, 
without telling on them, (laughs) but they're two boys. So you can imagine, okay, we've had not only a lot of talks, but we've had a lot of talks about the side that isn't positive and knowing there's consequences. Um, And as a father, you you grieve, or as a mother, mother would grieve. Um, So you kind of have to put that aside to really just help them find the Lord in all of that, his grace, his forgiveness, his love, but also that path that is what's best for them as God created them. So I know that some, whenever you're, I can say from experience and having ministered to a lot of people, when a person confesses sexual sin, it took a lot for them to get there, first of all. Um, and secondly, that causes a certain kind of grief and pain in the parent. And you immediately go to the shame as a parent of what I should have done, didn't do, could have done, and then fear kind of grips you. And unfortunately, fear has its own power to start to try to get you motivated to build walls and insulate them from future uh, bad decisions or sinful decisions. And I can speak from experience where I've done those things. Mm -hmm. And then you have another kid that's younger, which I've had, and then you're trying to do all these things, which again, part of mitigating the risk and the world that we live in is very important, but almost insulating them too much um, and not educating them more that to me is is probably the big miss. And I think if anything, as a parent, one of the things that I uh, am picking up from this and, and have, have implemented, but we always kind of kind of keep learning and keep putting into practice is educate more. Don't let your fear try to get you to insulate, insulate, insulate um, so that they never fall, but rather educate them because it helps them to have a better pathway moving forward. What do you think about about that? Well, I, think, I opened up a can. Come I, on, no, Kathy. No, <laughs> I think that the, the goal of insulating um, is doomed. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. That's <laughs> it's a really, going to fail. Yeah. We are not going to be with our kids all the time. Right. They're going to be exposed. They're going to be tempted. They're going to have hormones. They're going to see things and hear things. They're going to go to events and they're going to maybe sneak out and they're going to they're going to do they're going to make mistakes right didn't we make mistakes yes yes we we, we did, did. <laughs> we did and um so they're going to do that mm-hmm. and so as much as protecting them is important i really i think preparing is maybe more important yes and um because it's 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 a scary thing to admit, but we're just not actually going to prevent them mm-hmm. from being in dangerous situations, from making choices that could be risky, mm-hmm. from from making mistakes or from sin. We're not going to, mm-hmm. and so protect uh, pre- hmm, preparing them is. Of the two, I would I would put it above prevention mm-hmm. as as a goal as a parent. I'm I'm with you. the The fear is a big factor. I want to say something too about guilt. I don't know if this is still a thing. I hope it's not. But when I my kids were in high school, I think there was this part of me, the back of my head, that thought that if they were virgins when they got married, I had. You know, I I got an A mm-hmm. in that area. Mm-hmm. Like 
that somehow reflected on my parenting. Mm -hmm. Like that was success. Whoa, I got my kids to marriage, you know, sexually pure. And I, uh, there are all kinds of dangers in that way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, Our kids make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. I I often point out that um, Adam and Eve walked with their perfect father in the garden daily and they still sinned. Mm-hmm. So who are we to think that we're going to be such perfect parents that our kids will never sin? Ah, uh, no, that's not going to happen, mm-hmm. first of all. Second, my kids' decisions are based on their life, um, ap- not just my teaching, my influence, my protection. They, they're, they're going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have their own journey. And they make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. They have their own inborn temperament. They're exposed to different things than I've ever been exposed to. Mm -hmm. And they make different choices. And um, I know people who are still struggling with guilt over the choices their kids have made in Mm -hmm. terms of um, their sexuality and their sexual behavior. And um, I don't think we're meant—we're called— we're called to protect and to prepare, but I don't. We're not meant to carry the con, their choices. Mm-hmm. That's what I believe. I believe the same thing, and that's a powerful way of saying that. Can I ask you a question based on that? Because I think what comes to my mind when you're sharing that, everything in me says, "Amen." I'm a preacher, so that's what I do. But I'm thinking, why do? What What do you think feeds into that? Why do parents? Why do we? think that's that's the goal it's always the it's always the goal and not the process it's always you know as long as they never did x then that means parents did a really great great job like what 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 kind of feeds into that mentality do you think in your experience as to why how do we get why do we get there i mean obviously we want the best for yes. our kids and yes but but why why do we get there how do we get there what's that about my theory okay. is that it's a fairly recent phenomenon, like the last couple of generations. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was being parented, it was very clear. I think it was the soup we s- swam in that we were parented. Our parents did the best they could. And then when we were 18 or maybe 21 after college, we were on our own and we made our own decisions. Mm-hmm. And we were responsible for our own actions. I think there was a different philosophy. My generation then as parents, we kind of flipped, I think. Hmm. And I don't know, honestly, what triggered that. Um, I It may be some bad teaching. I, I'm not a fan of some elements of the purity mm-hmm. movement, for example, yeah, that made a, a daughter's um, purity actually like a covenant between her and her father, Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) I would say that put the dad in a place he didn't belong. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So um, I'm I'm not sure. There is an element, when I think about it in me, there's an element of pride. Mm -hmm. There's a, it's very appealing to think I have that much power Mm -hmm. and and control, which Mm -hmm. would come from fear. I would love to think that if I do it all right, my kids will not struggle. My kids will 
What about a reaction? Like, you know, the 60s was a sexual, my, my parents were hippies and they came to Jesus and the Jesus people movement. They came out of the sexual revolution. And what about many of us? Do you think so many people have a broken past in history with sexuality that they're just doing everything they can to spare their kids from whatever they've went through and sometimes haven't been healed of? Do you think that plays a lot into it? I do. That's a good. That's a good idea. Good thought. Um, yeah, I. <laughs> that is a typical reaction in mm-hmm. in people um, to think. You know, well, if I've struggled with blank, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure my kids don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's a fallacy mm-hmm. to think we can do that. Um, and and again, I, I think it's very sad for parents to carry that kind of load. Mm-hmm. So I, I I try to think about what am I responsible for and what can I control. That's great. That's great. Fear, fear does motivate control, right? Doesn't it? I'm yep. afraid that you do. I think for Bridget and I, that was the processing that we had to do again and again and again, and still will. Uh, yes, <laughs> was that yet. right? Because we have gone through a lot of painful stuff in our past and history, and her and I have had to process that, and then we had to process process it with our older boys and now our younger kids, mm-hmm. and so there is a tendency in us to want to control their reality to spare them from from what we went through. And so I just, for any parent that's out there thinking that, that re- reactionary parenting uh, is kind of like that inner vow that you make, like I'll never be like my parents or I'll never do that again, or I'll never, never, never. But then you perpetuate that onto your, you project it onto your children, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's one of the ways that we try to like almost redeem what we've done. And it's Jesus, right? That he's the one that forgives us and cleanses us and gives us new life. And yeah, it kind of leaves God out of the equation really. Kind of does. When we're, (laughs) you just got right to it, Kathy. When we're thinking (laughs) it's up to us. Yeah. (laughs) No, I just so appreciate this. There's a lot coming out. And I I just honestly just want to acknowledge the fact that there are parents that are going to be watching this, that are going to be very helped. And the fact is, is that we're kind of scratching the surface, Mm -hmm. but we're not. Mm -hmm. This is really, really uh, helpful and powerful, and I'm getting a lot out of it. In fact, I feel like I'm getting a free counseling session. <laughs> uh, so with that in mind, yes. I have another question for you. <laughs> uh, can we edit that? No, I'm just joking. Um, at what age do we begin talking with our kids and what is appropriate at these various stages of development? I know that's a huge category. We could go into that for a long, long time, but just just kind of generally speaking, what do we talk about and when do we talk about it in, in your mind? Some, some basic things. Right. So we are communicating about sex and sexuality all the time, mm-hmm. whether, we're not, whether or not we're using those words. And so from birth... Um, we're doing important things with infants. Mm-hmm. We are touching them and mm-hmm. in comfortable and warm and safe ways. Mm-hmm. And that actually lays a groundwork for um, touch being a way that our kids can be comforted and feel close and connected and attached to people all of their lives. Mm-hmm. So we're starting from the beginning. We're setting them up in a sex positive way mm-hmm. by um, a, by conveying approval of their bodies and, and how they're made and just enjoying the tickles and the snuggles. Mm-hmm. And um, when they're two to five, um, we're beginning to give them words 
for parts and for fun- bodily functions. And we can, again, do that in a, in a calm way, a matter-of-fact way, a playful way. Um, if we convey embarrassment or disgust um, or some kind of disapproval of their bodies and their bodily functions, or ours for that matter, mm-hmm. um, that would be a harmful thing. Um, they're, at this stage, they may be asking basic questions. They may have a baby brother or sister coming along and want to know where babies come from. At that age, um, it's uh, again, they're going to be picking up mostly on your tone mm-hmm. and your facial expression. So if they say, where, where did baby so-and-so come from? If you can act like, isn't this an exciting, miraculous thing? Guess what? This baby. And so you just do some really basic things. Where did the baby come from? Well, it turns out sometimes kids mean, you know, which hospital were they born in? Um, our daughters, we adopted all three of our kids. Mm-hmm. And so they all, our, our oldest daughter thought that all babies came from the airport. And um, so she said, oh, how many children did they get at the airport or did they adopt? She just thought they, that was the way it happened. Um Anyway, sometimes it's literally a transportation issue mm. or a geography question. But um, beyond that, you can talk about basic things. And there are wonderful books that talk about the special place in a mommy's body where a baby grows. And frequently that's... So a, a general rule here is you answer the question with the simplest answer, Brief, simple. Mm-hmm. Oh, like there's a special place where the baby grows. And then you see, do they have other questions? Frequently, that's it. That's enough. Mm-hmm. And a few months later, they may ask the same one. So now, where, where do babies come from? Well, remember, we talked about this. And, and they, oh, well, so how did it get there? Mm. So then you may expand. Um, I want to, again, put in a plug. There are fabulous books, and many of them from a Christian perspective, that have pictures Mm -hmm. that parents can use if they're feeling like, you know, this question has me, oh, no, what do I say, that are designed at age level. Mm -hmm. So. And we can link, we'll dis- put those in the description. So for anybody that's watching this, um, Bridget and I have used them too. We have some in our own bookstore here at church. But yes, we will put oh, some of some your resources. links in there. Yep. Perfect. Um, so at that stage, you're answering questions following their lead. Um, when they are six to nine years old, you really need to take the lead. If they're not asking yet, that does not mean they don't wonder. Mm-hmm. So it, it means you need to begin bringing up the conversation. Um, sometimes if kids are uncomfortable talking about things, you can use, um, you can you, you could talk about how did the baby calf get there. You can talk about your neighbors who had a baby. You can um, use a story or a book or a family member to talk about issues if if you don't want to say, well, your mommy and your daddy are, (laughs) Mm -hmm. if they're not comfortable or you're not comfortable, you can use other examples. Um, At this stage, like six to nine, you really want to be making sure these conversations are happening. Mm -hmm. You don't wait to be asked. You want to get out ahead of their peers, ideally. Mm -hmm. They hear it from you first. Um, 
you want to do it calmly. You want to be prepared. And um, their basic question at this stage is, am I normal? And another basic question at every stage is, are you somebody I can talk to about this? Mm. So if, if the parent freaks out, that can happen, and you may need to come back later and say, sorry, I, I didn't like how I handled that. Mm-hmm. Let's try it again. But ideally, the parents are calm, upbeat. They've thought this through. What's my perspective? What are my goals for my kid? Um, and also a big deal, six to nine, towards nine for sure, is talking about body changes, um, puberty coming. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Kids are curious about that. Mm-hmm. They maybe feel uncomfortable or shy about it, but they're very curious. Um, teen years, um, it's great to have in your mind that you're going to listen 90% of the time and talk 10% of the time. Totally. <laughs> so, And a, a great rule of thumb there also is to not be shocked. And you may hear shocking things, and you may hear words you're not familiar with, and you can say, hey, I'm going to look that up, or I'm going to find out. We'll talk about it again. You don't have to know it all. Um, you um, don't want to freak out. So your child, teenagers are trying on identities practically, verbally. They're trying on. Well, you know, I don't. I, I don't want to be a Christian, or um, I'm not going to eat the way the rest of the family eats. I think I want to be a Hindu. Um, I think I want to, you know, so-and-so and and her boyfriend are having sex. Why can't we? You know, they're going to say things that that could horrify or or terrify a parent. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to stay calm, to realize they're, they may be wanting to shock you, but for sure they're trying things out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's that's an interesting question. What are your thoughts on that? Mm -hmm. What have you been hearing? What are your friends saying about it? Um, what have what have we talked about as a family? Um, what do you what do you know that God's word has to say about that issue? What would be some of the um, how would a person decide when they were ready to be sexually active? Mm-hmm. How do you decide that you're ready? So, a lot of questions at mm. that stage, as well as mm-hmm. conversations. I, we find like. Uh, car, car rides have been awesome for us. So just just as a um, kind of a follow up to that, it it I, I like to have a little bit of a car ride because I can't always get my kids engaged in the conversation mm-hmm. right away, mm-hmm. especially when they're teenagers. So if you're driving to like Leavenworth, if you're from Federal Way, it gives you two hours to where half of it can be silent music, whatever, and then finally they're in the car long enough to where you can get around to that 15 minute conversation, right? It just yep. felt like it was always a little bit, took a little bit more work. And then we go out, have dinner. And then during that time, there's a, usually a solid 10 minutes. I guess my add on to what you're saying is, is other than an amen is to say that I have found that the conversation doesn't always come about when it's initiated or even when they bring something up. I have to have like a little bit of a larger context. So Bridget and I have always tried to have weekends that we would go not just to do the big talk, but kind of get those little talks along the way, yes. car rides. Um, and then just really honestly and get the, a huge thing for teenagers, which we're in the middle of again for the second time, is that when they're ready to talk, drop everything. Yes. 
Um, and I've I've said this to so many parents. It might be right when you're ready to go to bed. It is exactly <laughs> when you're ready to go to bed, and you worked all day, and you didn't sleep last night, mm-hmm. and you. But it's so important that there's some sparkle in their eye, and they're chatty, and it's. It could be super annoying to the parent. <laughs> like, I do not want to do this right now. But you just zip it and you realize this could be a sovereign moment and a beautiful thing that you've been praying for, right? You've been praying, God, I want this opportunity. I want to go farther than we did the last time. And then it comes at the most inconvenient times. So I just want to throw in there, uh, Counselor Kathy, that <laughs> it comes at very inconvenient times yes. for for Pastor Ben. Um, but I'm learning, we are learning again to recognize those are God moments and and to listen. Yes. And I learned so much when they're just chatty and, and there's an emotion that's coming out of them. And I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why, but it is beautiful. That You're so right. Um, being tuned into those teachable moments. Mm-hmm. Um, we did one-on-one bedtimes with our kids. Mm-hmm. We do too, yeah. Till they were, I don't know, <laughs> till they were staying up later than we were. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and those were sometimes wonderful, yeah. precious moments. Um, I, I want to bring up again at uh, talking, using media. So by the time your kids are even, I don't know, depends on the family, but for sure by nine or so, I'd say, you may be seeing things, you may watch a video together, a movie, and there's some subtle message there. Mm-hmm. And it's a great opportunity to pause the movie and say, what, what are you hearing? What do you think's happening? What do you think's going on? Why would they say that? Mm-hmm. wonder what they mean. What do you think about that message? Mm-hmm. Um, to, you, you can use advertising. What's the, what's the message here? Mm-hmm. So if you buy this car... What's going to happen? Oh, you're going to attract lots of good-looking people, and you know, you're going to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. All these things. Um, so, to use um, the media from an early age, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, we haven't talked yet about the dangers of media. I don't know if we want to. I would love to just. Do I that. think we should jump right into that okay. because I think when you were talking about the development. Um, and maybe I'll just make this comment and then we'll kind of dive right into uh, to, to that was I came home the other night uh, and my son who's 14 walks up to me and he gives me this card that my wife wrote to me and we got married. I was 24. She was 27 and she had a nine and 11 year old. So that's our story is that I adopted her boys and we raised them together. So in my twenties, I'm raising a nine and 11 year old alongside my wife. And, um, But there was a card that she gave me on my 25th birthday, which we had only been together for like eight months or so at that point. And in the card, which my wife, I can't even think of her ever writing this, but she did once. And she said all these wonderful things about me and I love you and da, 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 da. And then at the end it says, and you're the sexiest 25 year old man or something. The word sexiest was like underlined or whatever. And my son brings me this card because he was going through my keepsakes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so, and I don't have much. I have one box of things 
that I've kept throughout my life. I, ha- I didn't receive a lot of things over the years. I mean, other than like, you know, you accumulate stuff, but just these, these keepsake cards and other kinds of things. And so he's 14 and he's just laughing. He's that's so funny. And my daughter's 16 and she's laughing and it's so funny. And they're like, oh, that's weird. And I go, that is not weird. That is beautiful. <laughs> And that is contextual that your mom still thinks that about me. And that is the right thing to be thinking about your spouse. And we were just having a lot of fun with it. But it was really powerful to have just a healthy laugh. And they see the health between us and there's no blushing. It was just funny. And it's kind of like, I want to bring it up because it just happened the other day, you know, and I was like, um, it it, it just, that, that, that to me was just, so normal and Mm -hmm. so playful and so wonderful. And the message, the subtle message was that sex is a beautiful thing that God has given us. And yes, outside of that, it can be destructive because the world uses the word sexy and all the, all those kinds of words Mm -hmm. um, in so many ways outside of the context that I just brought up. And I think uh, I just wanted to say that because it's wonderful. it, It is a wonderful thing. And, but there are the fact is is that we live in a world where media is on your wrist mm-hmm. it's on your phone mm-hmm. it's on your television it's at school it's around our kids and we're just dealing with it and and with that comes pornography with that comes um messages that are both overt and covert they're subtle and they're direct and i just wanted to maybe open up the conversation a little bit more about the posture, the disposition of a parent when it comes to the areas of media, knowing that, you know, we can use them and help our kids kind of process through that because they're going to be watching or looking at media for the rest of their life. And we certainly don't want to just say, don't do that and don't ever do this and don't do this. We want to give them standards and values of what they do and don't watch and why they do and don't do that. But that education is important, but there's a reality to the fact that we're facing this. And do you think all parents um, are aware of the dangers um, of of some of what's out there or prepared for preparing their kids for what they're encountering with these uh, types of things? I think many parents are not aware and not prepared. And part of it is it's a moving target. Mm. I started speaking on this subject to adults mm, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I started speaking to parents in a similar, you know, similar content to what we're talking about today, uh, 10 years ago, maybe, mm-hmm. 11 years. And in that time, things have changed. Mm-hmm. So it's a moving target. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that, well, so several years ago, the average age of first exposure to pornography was 11. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's shocking, and I suspect many parents would think, well, not my kid. And uh, your child may not have a cell phone, but goodness knows their friends do. And, you know, this is Christians, homeschooled, um, Christian schools, private schools, public schools, it doesn't matter. Kids are carrying cell phones. Kids use computers. They go online to do school research. Goodness, like 10 years ago, I heard this statistic from the world's leading expert on pornography and its impacts, um, that two-thirds of middle schoolers 
were doing some form of sexual activity while they were doing their homework. Two-thirds were sexting or looking up things on the internet while they were doing their homework. Ten years ago. That was ten years ago. Wow. So I don't know what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, the average age now of first exposure is, is eight or younger. Eight's the most recent number. And whether it's gone down since then, I don't know. That's the most recent one I know. Um, I know families, wonderful Christian families, who are working hard to raise their kids in a godly way, um, whose kids have figured out how to see stuff. And sometimes that first look is even an accident. Um, I was looking up something on Amazon the other day, and I won't even tell you what it was, It because although it was an innocuous thing, when I typed it in, what came up was repulsive and mm-hmm. shocking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes these things come up innocently. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think parents would be shocked how young it's happening and how tech-savvy kids are. Mm-hmm. I know families where their kids are getting through their all their firewalls, all their protections, all their... Uh, yeah, the protections on their devices. Mm-hmm. And um, also, I think the th- a thing that's shocking to me is how the content is shifting. Mm-hmm. So 20 years ago, when we talked about pornography, we thought about Ill- images of women maybe with not a lot of clothes on. Mm-hmm. It has gone, now of course, videos, but it's so... Again, I, I really don't want to even say how perverted mm-hmm. and how quickly you are led to those perverted things, mm-hmm. things we really, really don't want in our kids' heads. Mm-hmm. I don't want them in my head. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so there are some good resources on how to begin in childhood to give your kids vocabulary mm-hmm. for pornography to give them vocabulary for what they're seeing and to help create a plan with them of what to do if they see something that makes them uncomfortable, that they realize, uh-oh, I'm not supposed to be seeing this. Right. Um, so that they know that they can talk to their parent and they can create a plan. Right. So um, the one I'm excited about right now is called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, by Kristen Jensen. It's available on Amazon. And um, we'll be linking her websites as well because she's got amazing resources in, on her websites mm-hmm. on how to defend your kid's brain. Mm-hmm. Is I think it's called, yeah, defend, defend. Anyway, mm-hmm. can't think of the title right now. But she's phenomenal. Right. Lots of great resources. And this is the same, right? Because we've talked about how parents may not feel that they know how to educate their kids in their sexuality. And so we can go get resources. And the same is true for maybe even non-tech savvy parents Mm -hmm. who feel like kind of a little bit lost in, in the weeds on this. Like, how do I, you know, lock down our home so that it's safe and, and, and healthy for the most part, realizing that kids can see stuff here and there. And so we want to you know, educate them all the more, yes. but at the same time, there is protection measures that we want to put into place. Yes, do all we can yep. and prepare. Yeah, Bo- it's a both and. The thing that slips 
slips through the cracks. Um, as a therapist, I have worked with couples who are experiencing the 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 ramifications of pornography. Mm-hmm. And I think there are people who don't understand some of the dangers um, that the ramifications for adults with mm-hmm. pornography. Mm-hmm. I work with couples where they're, um, well, so the amount of sex happening is decreasing, mm-hmm. not just in America, but apparently worldwide. So people are less sexually active than they were 10 years ago. Hmm. And I actually consider that a cause for concern because mm-hmm. um, it's also married people. Mm-hmm. Sex is becoming um, less frequent. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, I'm not going to get into a lot of that, but I will say that one of the uh, suspected reasons for that is the impact of pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a truth I know firsthand from people that I know, it is a truth that pornography warps people's expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, They no longer know what real is, and real is no longer exciting or satisfying Mm -hmm. or desirable even. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, media in general, I think, is another reason that couples are just having less sex. Mm-hmm. And to me, that means less intimacy, period. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's not like I take sex and say, oh, you need to have a certain amount of sex to sure. be happily married. Sure. But it's, it is a measure mm-hmm. of something mm-hmm. when couples are coming together less. Mm-hmm. So anyway, pornography is a big deal. I have worked with clients who have pornography addictions dating from sixth grade mm-hmm. when they went home to an empty house and they had eight hours a day of sex, um, of pornography. Uh, research says that middle schoolers can become addicted to porn within three weeks wow. because of the ways their brains are developing in that specific phase. Um and it messes up, uh, it messes us up, bio, our brain biologically and chemically. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not a neutral thing. Mm-hmm. And there are um, some people who think that oh, it's just a, a a neutral thing. We can take it or leave it. We can enjoy this together as a couple. And I would say um, no, it's mm-hmm. it's a very dangerous. Uh, one of our favorite websites, I actually haven't looked at it in a couple of years, I'm assuming it's still out there, is called um, Fight the New Drug mm-hmm. and um, referring to porn mm-hmm. as a drug because of what it does. Um, in terms of addiction, it behaves like cocaine mm-hmm. behaves. So I have very strong feelings on yeah, this subject. Yeah, no, and we, and, <laughs> and we should. As a pastor, that's the number one thing I'm talking to specifically men about. Mm-hmm. And and so there are a lot of great resources, which me there and are. Pastor John Hammer did, I don't know, an hour and a half conversation about this because he would admit the same, that this is number one, um, and that I dealt with sexual immorality as a young person considerably. He had a pr- pretty serious 
pornography addiction and mm-hmm. he was a pastor's kid mm-hmm. and he talks about his journey out of that which yeah. is really powerful and redemptive um i haven't heard him talk but my guess is it was also long and difficult his was his was a process it was a couple mm-hmm. years i think yeah. um yeah. you know uh and any and, and that is the majority of the time right some yes. people have that deliverance story yeah. others have uh, a pursuit of God and healthy principles that lead them to renew their mind, yes. think better, yes. live better um, with with God's grace, you know. And so, yes, I, I, I would refer to that podcast because Good. we do have it, and mm-hmm. it's there's some healthy principles there that I think help people. We have a lot of books here at the church. Good, but for the sake of parents, I think something that really is important is to not stick our head in the sands. And I know I'm saying that mm-hmm. kind of a little directly, but I do think denial that, oh, my child isn't watching that or my kid would never do mm-hmm. that. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard that I was a youth pastor when I was 21 years old, mm-hmm. uh, which is half of my life ago. And I, I can't, the, when I was a youth pastor, there were parents saying that to me. And I remember walking up to a house where I was going to meet with a young person because I was mentoring them, their parents were home and all of that. And as I'm walking up and about to ring on the ring the doorbell, the den, the den window was right to the left. And I look in and this young man who I'm coming to meet with, he had to have been like 13 is, uh, this was years ago where we had dial up uh, and he's looking at pornography and I had to be the person to Mm -hmm. tell his parents and the whole deal. Um, But now it's, expedited. They don't have to be on a dial-up computer. It takes seconds. And so I'm always encouraging parents to not just be afraid, but educate, educate. Mm-hmm. And then like you're saying, we need to help uh, with prevention in any way that we can. What can we do to create healthy environments in our home where we're mitigating the risk, but at the same time, educating our kids. Mm-hmm. And I think the worst th- one of the worst things we can do is is deny that it's happening or it will happen. It will happen, actually. It is going to happen. And even if not in your home, it's going to happen in someone else's home. It's going to happen in someone else's phone. And so I just think that a lot of the measures that we take or the things that we implement sometimes create that sense of safety. Oh, this will never happen. And the fact is, is that no, we're in an ongoing struggle in our society today that doesn't stop and doesn't take a vacation. And so I'm gra- I'm glad that you're strong on this because and you have passion about this because it does have ramifications for years to come. Yes. For marriages mm-hmm. that marriages can end over that mm-hmm. issue or become very distant and estranged and cold. Um I want to say something that popped into my head. Um I think it's a good idea to communicate to kids that all our lives we are putting boundaries around our sexual behavior. Amen. So it isn't just, hey, till you get married right. or, hey, you know, while you're a kid or all of our lives, all of us put boundaries around our thoughts and mm-hmm. around our behaviors um, in order to follow the Lord. That's, that's a part of the package. Mm-hmm. And in order to protect our marriages, mm-hmm. that's a part of the package. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the idea that God's rules, God's principles are there for our good. Mm-hmm. They're not there to spoil our fun or to make us weird in our peer group. Um, 
They are wise. They are for our health. They Mm -hmm. are for our protection. And again, there's so much research about um, the impact of having sexual integrity on our finances, (laughs) on our mental health, depression and anxiety, and uh, on our marriages and our other relationships. I mean, there's just a lot of evidence that um, walking according to God's principles bears fruit in Mm -hmm. many ways in our lives. Amen. Well, I want to kind of kick it to maybe some closing thoughts here about communication tips for Mm -hmm. talking with our kids about sexuality. I think that's a great place Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of land. And the fact is, is we could continue to talk a lot about this and there there is a lot more material, but what are some communication tips for parents uh, to talk with their kids? What are some things that kind of come to the top or come to the front? For you, mm-hmm. um, um, actually, I'm looking at this and realizing we've we've hit a number of these, mm-hmm. um, but I'll I'll repeat a few that I think are very important. Um, one is that we're communicating non-verbally, so just to be careful of our body language and our tone of voice, um, to not panic, no matter what we hear, to mm-hmm. not panic. Um, or appear shocked, um, to feel free to share our values, not think of, oh, no, they're, they're going to think I'm old-fashioned, or, oh, no, this, you know, they're going to reject this, or they're going to think this is corny, or, no, they, they need to hear it from us. Like you said, we are their best teacher. Um, that um, limit setting, yeah, so to talk about how to protect themselves by setting boundaries. Um, so to see boundaries as a, a, a positive thing for our protection, mm-hmm. think of it as a fence that keeps bad things out as much as you know the good things in. Mm-hmm. And so to help our kids create boundaries for their um, choices and their behaviors, um, to realize that over time our role shifts in the beginning, we are largely protectors. We become preventers and mm-hmm. preparers. Um, sorry, yeah, protectors and then preparers. Mm-hmm. And then um, eventually we're actually more like coaches, mm-hmm. supporters, cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a way in which now my kids are in their late 30s and I'm still a cheerleader to them. I'm still kind of a coach sometimes. They still ask me questions. That role, I think, will continue for quite a few years. But um, there is a there are phases mm-hmm. in our roles in our kids' lives. A big deal to me is helping our kids be clear about their identity in God. Mm-hmm. If If I see my identity truly, who God says I am, I am far less concerned with who other people say I am. Mm-hmm. I am far less concerned with, um, yeah, other others' definitions of me, mm-hmm. others' definitions of beauty, even. Hey, I, I've got God's stamp of approval, and He sees me as chosen mm. and precious, beloved, mm-hmm. His child, His daughter. Um, what a lovely thing to give our kids. That's who you are. Mm-hmm. And what a 
protective and, yeah, um, preparing thing that message is. Mm. If they had a hold of that, and then also a sense of purpose as God's child is hugely, hugely helpful in terms of their sexual choices. Mm-hmm. If they know they're going somewhere, they have a reason for where they're going, mm-hmm. that that will help inform their choices on a moment-by-moment basis. And they will be less reactive to this minute's temptations and more able to respond according to their values and their goals. Mm-hmm. And all of that, like I said, is really rooted in a strong sense of identity. Mm-hmm. Who I am. I I love this uh, story. I've shared it before, but there's a a young girl here at the church. We've got a lot of kids and she's at one of the services. She goes to a children, children's ministry after and connect after service in our, in our big gym. For those of you that don't go to church here, we have a big gym. We have a fellowship time after the service. She's got to be five, you know, and she dresses practically like a, like a princess, like every weekend, or at least kind of carries herself that way for sure. And she walks up to me and she's always uh, chatting and she's, talking all the time. Like she can out talk me for sure. She's amazing. <laughs> but she walks up to me. She just starts talking, Pastor Ben. Da, 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 da. And I say, hey, I just want you to know that you're amazing. And she goes, I know. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> I just love it because um, I just thought, how cool is that for a young five-year-old girl to come up to an adult, have a confident conversation for me to say you're awesome and for her to receive it and and have that level of confidence. I think there's something in us sometimes that almost like as they get kids get older, where I suppose that could go a different way, right? A kid could think, you know, I'm awesome in that they're better than others. But that's really not the message. To know who you are in the Lord is not to say that's in contrast to another person. It's mm-hmm. just to know what he thinks mm-hmm. and to receive that and accept it. And I see it in innocent children and I love that. And for us to cultivate it, it does bleed into all of our decisions and helps us to delay gratification and to push things off into their proper context in our sexuality and say, no, no, I know who I am. There's a sense of dignity attached to what God has given to me and who God has made me. And I'm gonna hold this properly so that it can be in the context for which he made it. It just has so much to do with with each other to say, I know who I am, I know who God is. I know what he's given me. Mm-hmm. And so waiting isn't about some religious obligation. It's about something relational uh, because you you understand and you know who you are, who God is. I just love, I love that. And so closing comments, Kathy, I, anything you wanted to share as we kind of bring this to a close? This is just rich, deep, powerful. Um, and I know it's so helpful to parents that are watching and listening to us right now. Um. I let's see here. I'm going to look and see if I have anything right at the end that I, um, yeah. So part of my picture of a goal in this context is preparing my child for a healthy marriage. Now they may be single, and certainly that's valid and important to prepare them for as well. But when I'm this minute, I'm thinking about preparing them for a help, healthy, happy marriage. And so to me, that's a, a, just a great 
guiding principle. Mm -hmm. They need to feel good about themselves and about sex. They need to know its purpose, its context, God's plan for it. And um, and actually, I, I would love my kids to be looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. And I would love for them to um, see that as a, a thing of value mm-hmm. to protect. And um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of my last that's awesome. Picture thing. I love it. Hey, thank you for being with me today, talking about this. Thank you. I believe it's going to have a great impact. And also for everyone that's tuning in, whether you're listening or watching, I think you need to watch every minute. You listen. need to listen to every minute because it's worth it. And there's so much more that we could talk about, but what we're going to do is link all of these things in the description. So whether that's audio or video, you can click those links for more resources. If you have any questions, you can always email us, go to conversationswithbendixon.com. And we look forward to seeing you next time on our podcast. God bless you. Bye.